Hey, this is Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you are listening to the EA Podcast with Eric Allen. Take it away, EA. Thanks, Fitz. Now let's bring in our weekly contributor here on the EA Podcast. That, of course, is Chad Pennington. We're going to break this baby into segments today, Chad, as November begins for the New York Jets. Obviously, against the Cleveland Browns, a listless first half. The Jets were trailing 20-7. to They came out and dominated in the second half. But I don't even want to talk about that ball game because right now what I want to focus on is Chad's favorite halftime speech during your playing career because I wanted to be a fly on the wall in Cleveland at First Energy Stadium on Sunday to hear what Todd Bowles and the players were saying. But you go back to your playing career right now and let's find out Chad Pennington's favorite halftime speech, either as a pro or even going back to your college and high school days. Oh, man. Um, well, EA, I think that uh, one that comes to mind as a pro, we were playing San Francisco. Uh, we were 5-0 and in 2004, or 4-0 and maybe. And um, we went into halftime down 14-0. to so I remember that that halftime speech was all about, you know, our offense not performing at, um, well at all and, you know, just talking about having to step up and quit making excuses and stepping up and making plays and quit leaving our defense hung out to dry and and be real and honest with each other and, and, and you know, do what we need to do. Um, so, you know, I, I do remember that one. Now that you asked me off the cuff here, I do remember that speech, but, you know, I look back at that Cleveland game, and I mean, you just this team just teases you with what it's capable of being able to do. But at the same time, I still think it's a blue-collar team. It's a team that has to play uh, hard-nosed. It has to take advantage of its opponent's mistakes. It can't make very many mistakes to overcome those. And if they play blue-collar and take care of those little things, they certainly have a chance to do well in the second half of the season. Yeah, the Jets uh, have a two-game winning streak as they head to Miami and face the Dolphins. We'll preview that game in a couple moments. Um, but what is it like in a pro locker room at halftime? Because people watch movies, you know, and we're all accustomed to seeing people come in with their the fire and brimstone, the stuff that makes you uh, get chill bumps watching at home or in the movie theaters. But what is a pro locker room like at halftime when you guys actually go back in there is there a speech from the head coach do you all break into positional groups and talk to your positional coach does the coordinators do both court uh all three coordinators take their groups to the side because we don't know chad you've lived it well it's very business-like typically it's very business-like uh where a, a lot of those things you mentioned happen so you have you know the offense getting together, talking with their position coaches, and then meeting together as a team, talking with the coordinator, discussing halftime adjustments, uh, defensively doing the same thing. You also have the head coach putting in a couple of words just from an overall perspective um, once he talks with his staff. And then sometimes, depending on the situation, you may have a, a player or two that has to get emotional and talk to the team. Uh, typically, that's about effort and attitude and, and making plays. That may necessarily not be about game plan stuff. So, uh, but it, for the most part, it's a business-like environment as far as 
uh, you know, not a lot of craziness going on, just really trying to focus in, okay, what do we need to do to either continue what we're doing or to change what we're doing in the first half uh, from an attitude and, and a scheme standpoint to do better in the second half. But is there a point where the head coach gets into the center of the room and everybody is glued on him, or that doesn't really happen typically? No, that happens typically at the end, right before you go out uh, as a team to go back out on the field and head coach will bring the team up and they're glued on him and what he has to say in, in, a, in a minute or two uh, just to bring everybody together. You've got your adjustments. You've got your game plan. Now bring everybody together. Hear a couple words from the head coach moving forward and then walk out as a team. What about the Saturday night before the game when you guys are at a hotel, whether that's on the road or at home, staying away from your families. Is that the one what, uh, that basically really sets the tone for what to come, for what is to come on Sunday? And is that the time where you see maybe some inspirational videos or some different speeches, different guys getting up and things like that? Because I know over the years I've heard different things happen at that team meeting on Saturday night before you guys actually go to bed and, uh, and, and have your final rest before Sunday? Each team varies, but typically uh, you could possibly see from a coach who wants to bring in an inspirational, motivational speaker, uh, depending on the situation. Um, you also have uh, an inspirational message from the coach, maybe with a video played. You also talk about team goals uh, for that game so you understand as a team what you're trying to get accomplished and how each facet of the team, special teams, offense, defense, has to plug in to the victory. Um, and then also you have your offensive, defensive, and special teams meetings where you're going over last-minute reminders. You're maybe looking at a couple of different plays uh, or players that you've got to make sure that you're aware of or take care of from an offensive, defensive, or special teams standpoint so it's it, there's a lot of different moving parts um, but everything is centered around those team goals offensive defensive and special team goals that you know are going to make you successful and ultimately lead you to victory you played under a number of different guys with completely different personalities you know going back to the days of Al Groh and then you played under Herm Edwards Eric Mangini Tony Sperano and a couple others in there as well. Um, can you talk about the not the differences in game day philosophies, but by the way they work the room? Yeah, I think uh, you know Eric really enjoyed bringing in. He loved boxing and the perspective that boxing uh, brings, and so he loved bringing in people uh, around the boxing world. Uh, speakers and just talking about that competitive edge and things like that. Uh, Coach Edwards, uh, we all know his um, strength is in motivation, so he would do a great job with his motivational talks and 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 talking to the team and, and preparing us to get ready to play and enjoy the challenge. Um, Coach Ferrano uh, was very diplomatic, uh, but he he really liked using videos and different tools to and stories to, to talk to the team uh, as far as preparing us. So, you know, the, there's different tactics that coaches like to use. Uh, a lot of coaches have different tools in their tool bag to, to try to get uh, the team motivated. It, it's a long, grinding season. And so 
head coaches have to be very creative and very judicious in picking and choosing their times to talk with the team, to motivate the team, being creative in the tools that they use uh, to motivate the team and, and keep the team focused. I mean, it's to be a coach, you probably need your degree in psychology <laughs> because that's what you're dealing with is the you know the psychology of players. Very simply put, how do you explain what happened on Sunday as the Jets really had nothing in the first half? They made a couple plays. Bilal Powell explodes for a touchdown. Teron Peake made a tremendous catch up the sideline. Uh, Brandon Marshall was trying to get that ball club going, but there is nothing there mostly for the first 30 minutes, and the guys will tell you that. But then they rebound, have a 24-point decisive run, take down the Browns 31-28. to But you just watching it on film, and as a guy who battled in between the white lines, how do you explain it? Well, first of all, I think you have to make sure that you understand the difference between expectation and standard. And so I don't necessarily think that the Jets were playing at a low standard. I think the expectation of the Jets should roll in there and beat an 0-7 team from start to finish is probably a little bit unrealistic, number one. Cleveland has been in a lot of different games, and uh, you know they have players too, and they can compete at a high level. So that's number one. I think probably the most disappointing part of the first half would be the last six minutes of the first half. It's a 10-7 to game, and then – you know, by the end of the first half, it's twenty to seven. That's where it got away from the Jets. Other than that, it was just kind of feeling your way out. If there's anything that changed, it was the sense of urgency of the team. The, the team brought a sense of urgency to the second half because they were forced to. Whereas you would like to see your team bring that sense of urgency from the get and not have to develop the sense of urgency because of the lack of production and the other team getting after you. You'd like to bring that. Uh, off the bus and, and establish that yourself and not have the other team cause that sense of urgency because sometimes just because the team causes a sense of urgency doesn't mean that you respond well, and so especially on the road. But I will say when you look at the statistics, you see winning statistics. You see winning the turnover battles, 0-2. Uh, to two. You see winning the time of possession, 33-26. to 26. You see the running game, 171 yards. And so you see winning statistics in there. It's just that it didn't happen over four quarters. It actually happened more in the last two quarters. What changed for Ryan Fitzpatrick? That was a near-disastrous first half. Uh, he took a vicious shot extending for the first down there. Uh, helmet goes flying, but, God, Fitz is as tough as they come. Uh, he plays it like a linebacker sometimes, and that's scary. But... I could get nothing going in the passing game. He had three completions in the first half, but then he came back uh, in, in the second half and really settled in and, and, and played a decent ball game. Yeah, you know, execution uh, was huge in the first half or lack thereof, uh, drop balls, uh, missed throws, um, you know, things like that, just not very much continuity at all. And then in the second half, I think what you saw early in the second half was completions on first and second down. And that established some rhythm, established some timing, gave uh, Fitzpatrick as well as the rest of the offense some energy and confidence, and they were able to build on that for three possessions in a row. And uh, so although we want to sit here and nitpick the first half, 
we also should complement how the team played in the second half um, and how they came out and just played a really, really high level. And they executed. They took advantage of their situations and opportunities. If I had to nitpick the second half at all, it would be that when you have a team down 28-20 to 20 and you get two turnovers like that, you've got to turn those into more points than just three, especially when you get a turnover inside their tent. That has to be a touchdown. That cannot be a field goal, in my opinion, especially when, you, when you're playing better competition because that is putting the knife uh, and the dagger, so-called, into the back of the opponent and really taking that game uh, out of reach instead of being 31-20. to 20. Where if Cleveland handles the clock a little bit better, uh, they have even a better shot to try to tie that game up at the end because they didn't handle the clock as, as, um, very well at all at the end of the game. Now let's go mid-season awards right now in the EA podcast with Chad Pennington. Jets are 3-5. and five. They're not where they want to be, but we're going to look at it, their first eight games, and say, Chad, if you had to say who is the team MVP at the midway point, what would you say? Well, here's, here's what I say. Uh, offensively, um, sometimes I think most valuable uh, doesn't necessarily mean most productive yet because sometimes your most valuable player, just with his presence on the field, uh, provides a lot of value even though the stats are there. So I'm, I'm going to uh, stay away from MVP, and I will use the term most productive, and I really like the production of Quincy and Nunois. I think he has provided a spark when the offense has needed it. Uh, he's really stepped into that role with the, with uh, Eric Decker gone. I think the Jets should be excited about his production and what he's been able to do. He made some amazing plays on on Sunday, and the touchdown run was awesome. And so, and he's done that throughout the year. And so, uh, touchdown catch and run, I should say. But um, I think I've been impressed with him. But I've also been impressed with Bilal Powell and and Matt Forte and. And, and some of the other guys that have really pitched in. It is truly, I think, it has been a team effort uh, from that standpoint, but I will have to give the nod to Quincy and Nunwa uh, in that regard. Well, Nunwa on pace, actually, for an 1,000-yard receiving season right now. I know it's early and we're just the halfway point, but this is the EA podcast, so I'm making the rules here. And Brandon Marshall, of course, on pace for another 1,000-yard season. So without... Eric Decker in the lineup, the Jets still could have two 1,000-yard uh, receivers this year, which would really be something. The emergence of an Anunwa, from a quarterback's perspective, you just spoke about him and you really like him. What stands out to you about his physicality? Because the good thing about Anunwa is I think he still has a ways to go because sometimes he'll have a couple drops here and there and things like that, and he's continuing to work on his hands and his concentration, and that's stuff I'll openly talk about. But from a physical skill set, what do you love about him as a former quarterback? Well, uh, you said it, uh, his physicality, I think, and his versatility. Those will be the two words that I use. Uh, number one, Really, his physicality in, in the run after the catch and his ability to take a 10-yard gain and turn it into 25 or turn it into a touchdown, uh, and then his versatility, uh, being able to work outside, inside, use as a tight end sometimes, use as a slot receiver, all the different things. He, he creates some matchup issues, 
and, and some personnel issues. And so for him to be able to step to the forefront and have the production that he has had, uh, for me as a quarterback, I know I have Marshall. I know I have Powell out of the backfield. I need that other guy with Decker gone. And to me, Fitzpatrick can go, he's my guy. He's my guy that I can trust that if they take away Brandon Marshall, 81 is going to make a play for me. And I think that is really huge for the quarterback. There are a number of players inside the Jets locker room who will tell you, hey, listen, i got to play better. I know to help this team win. But in your mind, as we look at this team at the midseason point, who is one player who really needs to step up his game for the green and white to get back into this and continue this little mini run they've started with a two-game win streak? Well, I, I, the first thought would be the quarterback. I think, I think Fitzpatrick would tell you that he has to be more consistent. It doesn't necessarily mean he has to have 300-yard game, games and three touchdowns every game. That, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about really more or less avoiding disasters and disastrous plays and keeping your team um, away from those types of negative things rather than creating more positive things. I think uh, that's where it has to start. That's where it was last year. That's where it has to be this year. It starts with the quarterback, and he's starting to play a little bit more consistent, um, but he has to be as consistent as consistent can be uh, throughout the second half of the year for them to even have a shot at making the playoffs. I mean, let's be honest. The team has to go 7-1. and one. That's, that's the bottom line. You have to set your mind on you have to win every game just to, you know, to, to have a chance to make it into the playoffs. And, and you may get lucky at 9-7, and seven, but right now your mindset has to be you've got to run 7 out of 8. You just do. You don't have any room for error here. Uh, because of the way the first half went, which is possible. I've been on teams that have been able to do that, one nine out of ten or seven out of nine or whatever it may be, and uh, this team certainly has that opportunity, um, but they have to capitalize on that. That starts at the quarterback position. Secondly, I would say that uh, although the offensive line has shown uh, some good play, and I know they're dealing with a lot of different challenges, uh, rotating guys in, dealing with injuries and things. That's where it starts uh, after the quarterback would be just offensive line, gaining consistency, eliminating those penalties when you have big gains, those types of things, and just providing a little bit more consistency up front, especially in the passing game, which is difficult because Coach Gailey likes to use those spread uh, formations and that provides more one-on-one opportunities for defensive linemen against offensive linemen. But if the offensive line can gain a little bit more consistency and the quarterback plays solid, consistent winning football, the Jets certainly have a chance to go seven and one in the back half of the season. The, on the defensive side of the ball, who do the Jets uh, need? Uh, like you talked about the offensive side of the ball, uh, and you said Fitz has to be more consistent. You, you got to get more consistent play out of the offensive line, which. Uh, uh, the one encouraging aspect of the line, um, and you said it, is that uh, the depth has been tested and guys have stepped up at times. Uh, Wesley Johnson played really well at the center position. I've been really encouraged by the guard play throughout a lot of the season, especially Brian Winters, who I think is breaking out. But on the other side of the ball, I don't want to ignore the defense. So is there a positional group or player that you're going to put the hat on and say, okay, we need you to make strides for the Jets in the second half? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the secondary. Uh, I think the secondary uh, has to just make sure that they eliminate the miscommunication, uh, eliminate the busted coverages. If they do that, uh, then that really completes the defense uh, to make, you know, as far as an opponent trying to attack them, because that's what opponents are going to do. They're going to say, look, we're not going to be able to run the ball very much. We need to throw it 45 times a game. Well, as a secondary, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be tested. I think teams are, are no longer completely scared, scared of Darrell Rivas. Uh, they, they want to go after him. They want him to prove that he can shut down uh, one side. And, and so uh, as a team, uh, defensively, the coverage has to be more consistent. My one suggestion in coverage being more consistent is, and, and I know that Coach Bowles, Coach Rogers, they, they love the matchup coverages and the man coverages. I'm not so sure sometimes that the defense plays more spot zone coverages and kind of uh, develops a bend but don't break mentality sometimes and to, to be able to eliminate some of these big plays and turn some of these touchdowns just into field goals. I think that would be important, which is a little bit of a shift uh, in, in thought process and scheme, but at the same time uh, that may have to be implemented uh, just to kind of shut down some of those uh, big play opportunities and to eliminate those yeah, and, and I have to say this, too. I know Buster has had some ups and downs this season, but he is a very valuable part of the secondary. And when he's out of the lineup, guy's versatile. He's playing outside at corner and base. He moves inside in nickel. When he's not in the lineup, that's a tough blow. And that's also a former Cleveland Brown. That dude wanted to be on the field, Chad. So not having him in the lineup after a bounce-back game against the Baltimore Ravens, he said he had to come back after being called for a number of penalties against the Arizona Cardinals. And he, he really wanted to be in that ball game. So I think it would be a shot in the arm if the Jets get uh, Buster back because he plays with the passion and he also gives his team some versatility as well. And I know the defensive backfield has had some issues this year, well-documented issues, and we all know that. But Buster Screen is one of their better players back there. And I think when he's not in the lineup, you can see it. Well, and, and these issues we're talking about aren't issues that can't be fixed. Uh, these are issues that are in complete control of the defense and the defensive players, and they can fix these issues, which should make them really excited about the second half of the season. They continue to clean up the mistakes and clean up some of the, the miscommunication. Um, and then, you know, with the defensive line coming to the forefront, providing a, a heavier pass rush with just four rushers, that really creates a lot of issues uh, for offense. And just be as versatile as you can and just play winning, complementary football. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. Um, Defense struggling, offense has got to pick it up. Offense struggling, defense has got to make the play. Special teams got to provide a spark. You know, when you get a team that understands that and provides that sense of urgency in all three phases, depending on how the game goes, because the game's not going to go the way you want it to all the time. And there's going to be challenges. There's going to be adversity in every game. It's how your team responds and how each side and each facet of the team helps provide that uh, spark and that energy. Uh, is really important. And sometimes the ball starts finding you. What an encouraging sign it is for the defenses. The last two weeks, they have combined for four interceptions. Now, entering week seven, they had two interceptions. So now you're starting to see that a little bit. If that can continue, there's the complimentary football you're talking about. So let's move on to our next segment on the EA Podcast with Chad Pennington. Talking country. This is a new 
uh, feature that we're going to do each and every week with Chad. Uh, okay, right now, one of the most popular country artists out there is Sam Hunt. Now, Chad, let's play a little trivia. Did you know Sam Hunt played quarterback at Middle Tennessee State and UAB? I sure did. I knew he was a football player. I, I, I did know that. Yes, I did. Uh, okay, so what kind of football player was Sam Hunt? Give us the scouting report. Uh, report on what yeah, I don't, have, I don't have a very good scouting report. <laughs> Probably none of us should because that's why he's singing country music. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great stuff. Have you heard him talk about his football career at all? Uh, not very much, but I know he's a talented singer, um, and so and I'm a country music fan. So, yeah, I did hear about his football uh, expedition, so to speak. Uh, did Chad Pennington ever uh, think about having a country singing career? Well, there's all kinds of thoughts that go run through your head, and then reality strikes and you realize that there's no shot. So uh, when you can't carry a tune in a bucket, then you just have no shot at that. All right. And, and then finally here, leave the night on or break up in a small town. Your preference on, uh, on a favorite Sam Hunt song? Yeah, you know, I would say break up in a small town. Uh, but, you know, it's, he's getting a little too popish for me uh, when, it, when it comes to country music. Uh, he's got to tone it down, add a little bit of steel guitar, and get a little bit more countrified is, is would be what I would say. Okay, I love that. Okay, so we're going to come back to the country, uh, maybe some old-school, hardcore country next week. Finally, our final segment, uh, Keys to Victory. Give me three keys for the New York Jets as they go down to play the Miami Dolphins as your two former teams battle and. The Jets' defense is going to get to know a man by the name of Jay Ajayi this weekend. Absolutely. Uh, three keys. Uh, number one is, is so obvious, uh, the run game uh, for the defense. Uh, you've got a Dolphins team and a Dolphin runner that's come off of two back-to-back uh, -back 200-yard games, which is really, really impressive. And you can see how that's made – uh, their win so much smoother and, and uh, provided more production at the quarterback position when you can rush for 200 yards. That makes things a little bit easier. So the run game, not allowing the Dolphins to establish uh, their mindset, their attitude, and their will on you with the run game, that's number one. Number two, eliminating the big play uh, defensively. Uh, and number three, offensively, turnovers. Uh, if you stay away from turnovers, the Jets will win the game if they stay away from turnovers because then they will win the time of possession. And I'm looking for them to have more red zone production uh, moving forward into this second half. But run game defensively, big plays defensively, and turnovers offensively, those three uh, keys will be the keys to victory for the Jets. And that would be something. That would be a three-game winning streak, and then all of a sudden the Jets would be four and five. And, oh, by the way, the Jets last season were left for dead at 5-5, five and five, and they would have an opportunity to get to 5-5 five and five with the win over the L.A. Rams, but you can't take anything for granted in the National Football League. I'm sure the Miami Dolphins are looking at the Jets as this is a game that they have to have and they should have as well. So it's going to be fascinating to see these two old AFC East rivals, Chad Pennington's former teams, go at it in South Florida. Chad, we look forward to speaking to you next week again. Okay, EA, thank you.